Welcome back, one and all, to Pros and Cons. That's right. We're getting into the second book of the Mikol Ostow Riverdale tie-in novel series, Riverdale. Get out of town! I am joined this time. This journey is no longer one man's descent into madness. This is this this season, this segment, this saga of pros and cons is going to be a lot more like the Robert Eggers film The Lighthouse, where I will be playing the role of Willem Dafoe. And my own Robert Pattinson is joining me today. Quinn, how are you doing? I'm feeling so sticky sweet, Rob. <laughs> Do you feel like if you had a steak, you would fuck it? Oh, maybe. Just maybe. Uh, the Lighthouse is a good movie. Everyone go watch it. Um. Anyway, yeah, Riverdale, get out of town. We're going to do the prologue and the first two chapters today in a very similar way that I would do segments of the previous novel. Uh, but Quinn has their own thoughts on, on this, and we're probably going to go off on some tangents and such. And I don't know, before we get into the play-by-play and I really start doing essentially literary crime scene investigation, do you want to let the listening audience know any general impressions or feelings you're getting from from just cracking into the very beginning of this uh, this little journey here? First thought, you know, Nicole's at it again. <laughs> you know, there- I, sh- her style is written all over this business it is um there's a point of a little bit of concern that i have which is that we now have instead of nothing we have two seasons of a tv show right uh as backstory for this book this takes place after season two of riverdale after archie's false accusation uh of of being the, the dude who murdered that guy at shadow lake and he's gonna get framed and all that and like those two seasons of television cast a long shadow, I think. <laughs> oh, and yes, like, they do. And, and it worries me that Ostow has things to write about, and I don't like that as much. <laughs> I, I don't know that I like that either. However, there is also surprisingly little that happens in oh, these no, three Oh, no, don't chapters. worry. Yes, she's still doing her best despite having a backstory to work <laughs> with. I just think that the unbelievable Rumpelstiltskin act of just spinning a book out of fucking nothing is a little muffled, at least at the start of this book, as the book kind of catches us up on what was going on on the TV show. And I'm hoping that we move on from that as the book progresses and go into just, like, another Shaggy Dog story. That's that's my fondest hope, actually. (laughs) I, I really think that I agree with you, because there is a little bit here that's just her saying, like, oh, remember how this happened in the TV show? Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. oh. It's like, I, I know. I watched it. I wouldn't buy this book if I didn't know what was happening in the TV show, and honestly, none of the context you're giving here would make sense if I hadn't uh, watched the TV show. Like, I just want to see her do, like, a 270-page tap dance uh, with no substance again. Like, that's that's what I fell in love with in the first one. <laughs> and but. I, I do want to say, despite the fact that there is sort of a wealth of lore for her to draw upon now, of history, of canon, some of her more problematic habits 
or corner cutting techniques. <laughs> if the first three chapters are any indication, it looks like they've been amplified, if anything. Yeah, we'll we'll certainly get into that. But I think uh, with that with that said, it's probably time to dive into my play-by-play, blow-by-blow, careful stenography. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and as we get in, the question I would ask the listener is, guess how many sentences into the book it took for us to become incensed? Sure. We begin in the traditional manner with a jughead prologue and we begin in fact with a good deal of faffing around about how idyllic and wonderful summers are yep Uh, this Um, is from jughead's perspective for 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 the the most part a couple good pages of just that (laughs) i don't know about you quinn but to me the like instant whiplash gear shift of Oh, summer's so wonderful, eating ice cream, like, long, lazy nights, and then to an industry tycoon framed our friend for murder. Like, it hit really hard, and I feel, like, unintentionally funny. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, (laughs) in Riverdale, summer belongs to us. Or that's what we thought anyway, until this summer. Until Archie Andrews was arrested for murder. When... Two paragraphs before, he was saying shit like, lazy days on a porch swing, nursing a soft serve cone, trying to strike the balance between savoring the treat and devouring it before it liquefies, sticky sweet under the searing press of the sun's glow. (sighs) Such powerful prose. Such powerful prose. Uh, The answer, by the way, at least for me, for that question I posed at the top, is two sentences. Because the first sentence is just the word summer. (laughs) And then the second sentence is just the mention of the word conjures a series of comforting images. That is the start of like a high school essay trying to like pad for space. It is. And coming directly (laughs) off of the last summertime novel based in the Riverdale universe. Yep. Informed heavily by Jughead's perspective we read. I don't necessarily feel like that strikes true. I'm like, oh, summer lover Jughead? I mean... No, not at all. Like, yeah, the last book and the first part of the first season took place in summer, and it was, everything was shit for everyone. Right. (laughs) We just went through that. And I don't really remember Jughead spending any length of time, like, perseverating on or musing about or reflecting upon his attachments to the summer. He's not like, God damn, this is my favorite season. It's been ruined. No, no. But again, you know, we got to fill those pages. So Cassidy Bullock, the Shadow Lake 'er ne'er-do-well that Andre, master of the martial arts, shot using presumably his mastery over the martial art, shoot a prone child foo, is the murder for which Archie is getting the incorrect rap. The things that Jughead says about that murdered boy is fucking monstrous, (laughs) in my opinion. Like, deeply heartless. We weren't sorry he'd been killed. I mean, they were, like, holding them at gunpoint, and it was looking like they were going to start some sort of, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like, hostile-type stuff, had, had they not been spooked. 
Uh, yeah. But certainty is not something that Jughead has here, but he was in that situation. So that's that's true. It also just gets a little castle doctriny to me. Yeah, maybe. I mean, uh, they didn't do it though. Andre, master of the martial arts, did. Oh, certainly. All. But yeah, I, I I don't know. He is very very cold though. I'll I'll say that. Jughead points out with a quote that a poet once said, "Summer nights were good." But that for the main four characters of Riverdale, Summer is not actually good because of the murder framing. (laughs) Top-notch Jughead stuff there. In describing the various people in Archie's Corner, including his own mother as his defense attorney, which I'm sure is fine. Conflict of interest? Never heard of it. Jughead makes a delicious metaphor salad. By calling Betty a, and I quote, Sunny with a side of edge girl next door. So what we're doing here (laughs) is both a weather report and an order for food. And it's awesome. (laughs) Also, it's worth noting that Jughead is careful to remind the reader that Betty was, in fact, doing an internship at a lifestyle blog the previous summer. Because Oso has got to put over her own content from the previous book. It's so good. She's like, so here's all the stuff that happened in the TV show, and also here is what happened in Riverdale the day before. And a very Remember important part Hello of the story. Giggles? <laughs> Hello Giggles is incredibly important. Although not important to mention by name in this book, and I wonder if that is a copyright or a usage problem. Or if she literally didn't remember which lifestyle blog she had Betty writing at and didn't bother looking it up. Sometimes a lifestyle blog is just a lifestyle blog, Rob. And more importantly, books gotta get written, and the weekend doesn't last forever, Quinn. Oh, no, it does not. Uh, Jughead is struggling with the pressures of his friend's trial, and the serpents looking to him for leadership as their new king. Like, how the worm turns, right? Like... He was so broke up about his dad being the Serpent King. in the Like, that was his main thing he was really angsty about in the previous book. And now that's him. He is Serpent King. Of course, the show did for two seasons be like, this drug-dealing biker gang doesn't actually deal any of the bad drugs. And they're actually just good. <laughs> so, uh, except for, for the most part... It's very weird. They really want the iconography of a biker gang, but they don't really want them to act like a biker gang, so it feels very disjunctive the few times that they do. Yeah, more like chums of anarchy, am I right? (laughs) Yes. He makes a weird claim here, does Jughead, that when Jason Blossom was murdered, Riverdale, and I quote, lost something innate, something ineffable. Okay, Jughead. Let let me get this straight. This town was founded on a massacre of Indians and later a fratricide. The place is, like, stuffed to the gills with drug lords, D-list Batman villains, horny fishmen. Yeah. And has produced not one, but multiple prolific serial killers in living memory. But it wasn't until Jason Blossom... That the scales dropped from his eyes. One kid killed is, is like a fucking Tuesday here, bro. What, what are you talking about? I, I don't know, Rob. I think that you'll find that before then, the community shimmered with wholesome small town charm. He sort of recovers it a little bit in saying slightly later that people, or I guess suggesting 
that people had been in some form of denial about the town's true nature before Jason's death, but I still call weak sauce on this. Yeah, no, it's bullshit. He just wanted to say that Jason's death was really significant in some ineffable way because it was the first thing that happened in the TV show. And it it might have been to him. Maybe. But yeah, and I guess maybe that's... Are we going to credit Ostow with being that deep in the self-involved POV of Jughead, who, you know, is kind of a dick? I, 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 I guess don't know. Headcanon. Headcanon. Yeah, Ostow is just brilliant. Like, and she's intentionally making irony by ignoring all the things Jughead knows about the town's past because he was so self-involved about it. Sure, we'll do that. Um, Jughead laments that Archie is poised to go down in flames just for the simple mistake of crossing the wrong man. Such a simple mistake. Classic goof. Jughead. I'm going to have to stop you again. We've seen two seasons of this fucking TV show, Jughead. We saw far more mistakes than just that. <laughs> we, saw... we lived through Toilet Gun. Yeah. Shoggoth no. Box. The Red Circle. The Dark Circle. The war dogs. The war dogs. Archie is a goddamn rolling dumpster fire, and you know it, <laughs> Jughead. You're just lying. I don't know that Nicole Ostow knows based on what she says or has some characters say later. I think we do need to pay close attention, put our sleuth hats on, and be book detectives, Quinn. And figure out if we ever see anything that proves Ostow watched the show rather than just read the Wikipedia page. Oh, God. Okay. And watched maybe some YouTube clips to get character voices. Uh-huh. Uh, because, again, it's like the idea that Archie was like a really good kid and made the one mistake of crossing Hiram. We saw him degenerate into a completely unsympathetic character in season two before yeah. Hiram was his enemy. In fact, because Hiram wasn't his enemy. Yeah, he just, he, he sank so low. And like, he was, was he manipulated a little bit by Hiram? Sure. He was making a lot of calls on his own, and they were they were not good. He was horny for chaos from the word go in season two. Yeah. Incredibly horny for chaos. Unbelievable. Unbelievable scenes. Um, so now we're moving to chapter one, and I don't know who narrates the chapter. It just starts with text messages. We're just sticking oh. those world documents right into the chapters now, so I can't announce the POV character right at the start necessarily. How exciting for our new format. Oh, yeah. Uh, I did want to take a second here, though, and say, uh, perhaps given the current situation we're in when so many of us are on shelter-in-place orders and that sort of stuff, he's talking about how Jughead is, most teens would be dreading going back to school, homework, clicks, early wake-ups. We would have given anything to be thinking about stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, bro, me too. Uh-huh. Bro, I yeah. wish. Absolutely. That dates the podcast, but that doesn't matter. We're not trying to make money off of this. And oh, yeah, no. Let me tell you, uh, coronavirus, coronavirus, coronavirus. This isn't going on YouTube. I get to say that. <laughs> yeah. So we're just doing text messages. It's We're leaving ourselves in suspense here about whose chapter this is. We begin with Reggie texting Archie, trying to persuade him to come to a house party and be a normal dude for one night. 
It doesn't look like it's going to be successful, but Reggie recruits Veronica into the Archie persuasion effort. And Veronica makes an all-work-and-no-play-makes-Jack-a-dull-boy reference, and okay, credit where credit's due, props to Ostow for calling it King by Way of Kubrick. Because if you just called it King, I would be putting you on blast about that. <laughs> if it's not from Carrie the Musical, I haven't read it yet. We then go for a Stephen King twofer by calling back to the, frankly in retrospect, buck wild Carrie the Musical tie-in crossover, whatever you want to call it, that they did in season two of Riverdale. Uh-huh. I love seeing, like, the evidence of stream of consciousness uh, just in the middle of a published novel. Uh, where it's just like, yeah, I also remember this. <laughs> oh, Stephen King, So huh? read about it. It turns out Archie's mom has convinced Betty also to attend the party. Jughead is, of course, easily convinced by Betty, but is also a big whiner about it. Um, so we've got the main four going to show up at this party. Oh, by the way, that's the name of yeah. part one. The party. Really? Yeah. I must have had two pages stick together. Part one, the party. Right oh, before it's the before starts. the prologue. That's why the the part page is before the prologue is announced i didn't expect it there we're playing around with our format we're having fun we're keeping things fresh here in riverdale get out of town huh <sighs> anyway we then get the best part of this text stuff by far which is cheryl texting josie about oh my god <laughs> yeah Right? Cheryl texts Josie crowing about how great Los Angeles is, and the fact that she uses her and Tony's ship name in a hashtag for the vacation, hashtag Joni Goes West, so, is fucking amazing. It's doubly crazy to me, because I had a sibling, um... My sister was dating this guy at one point, and he was just kind of like a weird dude. And um, somehow or another, everyone in my family uh, just started calling the man Choney for no reason. Mostly because it kind of got under my sister's skin. Yeah, we just started calling him Choney. And... Spontaneous uh, non sequitur nicknaming. Right, and it was like his name wasn't Tony or anything that sounded like Choney. So. <laughs> We just started okay. calling this dude Choney, and I see that, and I think about him. I can see his face when I, I see Choney goes west. I did not expect us to go this deep past the fourth wall with the hashtag Choney goes west. I'm very happy about this. Oh, yeah. Uh, but speaking of going off the deep end, we go straight off the fucking deep end here in this text. When we find out that Tony has, and I quote, a serpent hookup, Everywhere that's anywhere in Los Angeles. It's the ultimate VIP pass, Rob. Let me be clear. A biker gang who is consistently shown as the fragile, oppressed underdogs in a tiny little town in some undisclosed part of America has enough dick to swing in Los Angeles that they can just get into cool places that the riffraff can't and they get special treatment. I, what it's the fuck is this? Inconceivable to me. I cannot I cannot handle the implications of this and the, the tonal dissonance and the, the way that it just clashes against everything that we've learned about the serpents Apparently so the serpents own the fucking world and the reason that they're in Riverdale is that it's like the fucking gravity chamber that Vegeta trains in. 
Like like there, their luck is harder, and it's 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 harder going, and it makes them stronger. And that's it's like, the, like they're doing it for the challenge. And they're they're like so explicitly framed as being this local organization. They're they not a national grew out of the survivors club. of the Indian massacre. Like, you know who it would make sense if this was happening around some of like the lodge's shady mafia connections. I would buy or like that. old friends of the Blossom family who are billionaires or whatever. But serpent hookups? Nonsense. What? <laughs> I love it so much. Uh, anyway, Josie's going to the party. Moose and Kevin are also going to the party, but Moose is being all reticent about going together, so we're still doing that in this book. And eight and a half pages later, we know that it is a Veronica chapter. <laughs> Fun fact to note, uh, every character has a unique font for their name in this book, which I do not believe was the case in the first one. Oh, really? Yeah. I did not notice that. Is Jughead's a typewriter? Yeah, yes, kinda. it is. Nice. Is Veronica's, I guess what would you call that? Kind of like maybe just a trendy, uh, clean look? Yeah, it's like, it's sort of soft. It's relatively beveled. It's not quite like comic-y. But it's um well graphic design looking yeah graphic you design see, like is a her business passion. card or something and Archie's of course is like paintbrush yep okay hey nice good observation there I did not catch that Veronica angsts internally about how her father corrupted Archie and privately worries if the trial is really as easy a defense as she likes to say it is in the presence of others worry 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 page 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 oh okay hold on though in her in her worry, I I can't... There's this hyphenation, like this compound phrase that she makes, which is cartoon villain evil father. Yeah. And I hate that. Cartoon villain evil father. It doesn't roll off the tongue. It feels stumbling and awkward <laughs> to say. It feels bad, man. <laughs> like, I read it two or three times being like, that can't be the what she's saying can it that's something we say in river do's and river don'ts not something that goes in the actual media <laughs> and i mean at least make say lex luthor-esque or something like that like make a reference you're fucking veronica come on right and no cartoon villain evil no fair it's it's worth pointing out she and archie roll up on the mantle house party taken by the new driver, who in her internal monologue, V claims is like her bestie, but she doesn't use his name. I'm not convinced she knows his name. It wasn't on the Wikipedia pages. Ah, <laughs> oh, this book. No, I'm feeling it. I'm starting to feel it, Quinn. I'm feeling the Ostow energy. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, did you take note of the wild capitalization that comes in the next paragraph? Oh, fascist? Yeah. Like, she's calling her father a fascist and capitalizes it as if that were a proper noun. Uh-huh, with a ca yeah, fascist with a capital F. I guess that's how you show you're really serious when you're thinking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you oh, capitalize yeah. internally. Mm-hmm. Uh, man. The presence of genuine conflict, and this is what I alluded to in our intro, engendered by the show, and regardless of how we sort of logistically can't resolve the conflict during this book because this takes place between two seasons of a show, it's... I'm worried that we may have an unforeseen and tragic casualty of this book taking place after things have happened in the TV show. And that, dear listeners, is the Veronica counter. I mean, this is a short chapter. Less the text messages is like just under four pages. Uh, and we're trying to 
catch people up on things that happened in the show, but I am concerned by there being only two brand names mentioned and no celebrity names or pop culture references in a Veronica chapter. It's a little too early to call for a moment of silence for the Verona counter, but I am very concerned. Things aren't looking good. Deeply concerning. We close out the chapter with more text messages. This time, Penny Peabody, and you need show knowledge for this because it just says pee-pee. <laughs> yeah, Sweet Pea is getting a message from pee-pee. <sighs> and she's leaning on Sweet Pea for some sort of underhanded dealing. The plot thickens a bit to taste. Pinch of, pinch of flour in there. Maybe some cornstarch. Yeah, we got a roux going. We got something, yeah. Chapter three. Again, text messages. We're going to leave you in suspense for a moment about whose chapter this is. I apologize in advance, Quinn. I'm going to go on a fucking rant in a second here. All right. Josie texts the rest of the Pussycats, noting that while the Pussycats are on a hiatus, they have a one-night-only headline against their rival, Venom. I'll that's quote rival comma venom capital v my fucking brain exploded when i read this first text message <laughs> what the hell is going on there is an incredible amount to unpack in this one inane well, thing Rob, it's just like star wars it's the world buildings in those subtle details that you you allude this to. is the clone wars moment of this fucking book yeah. you're right uh, and I think that if you look at, like, the timing of everything, she could also be talking about the uh, 2018 motion picture Venom. We'll get there. Starring we, Tom We Hardy. can't even go there yet. There's stuff to unpack before that. This is a Jesus. treasure trove. Fuck. Okay. If the Pussycats are on a hiatus, why do they have a show? I'll leave leave that one for y'all to noodle on. And what the fuck is a one-night-only headline against someone you headline a show and other people open for you you can't headline against someone unless possibly they're counter-programmed with you playing at another venue at the same time close enough geographically that you could conceivably split an audience or it's a battle of the bands but like a scott pilgrim versus the world battle so, of the bands where you're literally playing yes. at the same time to try to be louder than one another i watched that movie like, I rewatched that movie last week. And so that slipped over me because I, I guess I just, like, sort of thought about that, that scene. But it doesn't make any sense. You can't. No, they're can't on a hiatus a... and yet they have a show. And the format of the show makes absolutely no sense and is gobbledygook. <laughs> like, that's before we even get into the bomb at the end of the fucking text message. It just doesn't make any sense. They're trying... note, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is a very good movie, but I really do like, it's, it's a weird instance of, like, I really don't like the main character. And I know you're not really supposed to, oh, yeah. like, be meant to, but I don't even really like him that much by the end. And, like, that's weird for me to still like the movie. And but I do. I read the comics as well. And I think that one of the weaknesses of the movie is that it sort of cuts Scott a little bit of slack in the end. Where... The comics kick his ass more. The comics actually really go in on his whole perspective and calls into question a lot of his motivations and a lot of his perspective as, like, the de facto narrator of the series. Right, right. Kind of force him to grow up a little bit, rub his nose it, in it. It's good stuff. So that's a that's a pros and cons slash River Do's and River Don'ts recommendation for the Scott Pilgrim vs. the World comics. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the movie's also good. 
So the movie is. Both of them are great. I mean, honestly, it's it's a very entertaining watch. It's very funny, and if you want to see how much good editing can impact the viewing experience of a movie, uh, I can think of no better example. I was gonna sit there and I was just gonna sort of coast through it, but because it's so snappily edited, and like everything hangs together, it. so you it, fucking watch. Like it, it has that in. power to pull you in. I have to get and, back into this though because yes, yes, yes. Our rival, comma Venom. We buried the lead here, but I needed to get everything out of the way so I could focus my energy on this. Venom? Venom. Did I fucking miss something? Is this something that's explainable somehow based on the uh, show? So like on Rob, Riverdale? I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the Google real quick. I'm just gonna type in Josie and the put oh that says pissy cats. Pussy cats. <laughs> <laughs> Venom. I looked Riverdale Venom up, found nothing, except for a fan fiction where Venom visits Riverdale, by the way. Did you mean Josie and the Pussycats Novamov? I did so not. Do- I, don't, I don't think this is something from the show. So this is, this is new. And I'm going two places with this, and I don't know which one is more amazing. Are the Pussycats musical rivals... With the wayward Clintar alien symbiote known as Venom from the Marvel Universe, who bonded to such hosts as Peter Parker, Eddie Brock, Angelo Fortunato, Matt Gargan, Flash Thompson, Carol Danvers, Normie Osborn, Cron Stone, Hulk, Deadpool, Punisher, Wolverine, Thor, Galactus, Black Bolt, Captain America, Thunderbolt Ross, Otto Octavius, and Lee Price, along with every member of the Guardians of the Galaxy, if only briefly? Is that what's happening? Could be. Or... And this is not worse. Are they musical rivals with British extreme metal band Venom, formed in 1978 and still active today like some kind of animated corpse, who in many ways founded thrash metal and indelibly marked the extreme metal constellation of genres in general? Holy shit. I would love... Either of these possibilities are instantly my favorite thing about this or any other book. Oh and there's, God. as we've established, there's no context at the top of this chapter, no. nor in the fucking show. So I am free to hope for this for at least a few text messages and or paragraphs. I swear. chapters uh, until the book breaks my heart. I get to believe that one of these things is true. <sighs> as we pause and sit with this for a second, I need to pee so it's bad. It's fine. I, holy shit. It's the best thing ever. It's better than anything in the last book. Okay, I'm back. Ooh, baby. So, just opening this chapter with a hell of a salvo. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Uh, And we actually get a little more. Uh, I mean, nothing can live up to that, but... Josie convinces the Pussycats to put in a brief appearance at the mental house party. And I think at this point, the plot gets thick with two C's, Quinn. Oh, yeah. When Josie texts Sweet Pea and tells him specifically that the Pussycats are going to be at the party and emphasizes a need for secrecy or at least discretion. Low key or this is over. Yeah. What could she be talking about? Maybe we'll find out. Maybe Ostow will forget. I'm excited either way. It's still content. (laughs) (laughs) 
Turns out this is an Archie chapter, and we do get the paintbrush font. I'm going to be looking at this now. Uh, I'm excited for next time we meet, because I assume we'll get a Betty chapter, and we'll get a different. Maybe the eyes will be... Well, there are no eyes in Betty. What am I talking about? We got to get a magnifying glass in there somewhere. Maybe, maybe one of the letters is wearing a deerstalker hat. Something anyway, like that, yeah. Turns out it's an Archie chapter, and I love this. I love that we start out with like a page and a half of Archie internal monologue, literally repeating every emotion and story beat that's already been done in this book thus far. I love it. We just say, like, he tells us how he feels when we already saw how he felt in his text messages. And he tells us how some other characters feel and what they're dealing with when that was also handled in chapter one. Yep. I This is what I'd like to call a strong Ostow move. <laughs> like, this, this, is, this is Ostow bringing the Ostow. See, in my mind, she is, like, emotionally or tonally... Like a dog doing a couple tight circles before laying down. Yeah, you gotta get it just right. Then things get weird when Veronica, like, really leans on Archie to go be friendly to Chuck Clayton. Fuck. Who says hi at him. And, like, uh, we, we then have Archie go hang out with some Riverdale High dudes, right? And I'm sort of suspending judgment at this point because they sort of, like, did a kind of a face turn for Chuck in the show later on. But... He's going to go hang out with these guys, and Chuck suggests, intimates to Archie, that he is holding a grudge against Veronica. Like, isn't that the exact opposite of what happened in the show? I don't know, Rob. Did I miss something? Like, wasn't he, like, repentant in the show? (laughs) Just like, ah, whatever. I, I didn't read in the Wikipedia summary that we had this thing happen with Chuck. Like... I don't know. I don't. Am I misremembering season two of Riverdale? Toward the end, he like he yeah he's he's very he's at least presenting in a way that like looks regretful, and like I am skeptical of it. But like I don't know if he's playing that as like a facade. Why he would look to Archie, who's dating Veronica. I'm still a bad guy. Right. I'm mad at your girlfriend. It's so fucking weird. I mean, and it's almost like we need to elevate a minor sexual predator since we can't spend all of Archie's chapters with a major one, (laughs) unlike the last book. Because Hal murdered Grundy's ass in season two. Uh Uh-huh. And Chuck leaves the scene in the act of creeping on a girl. It's great. Um, Like... This was so weird. What is this for? Is Chuck going to be like a recurring thing here? I don't fucking know. It's so fucking weird. Because if he's not, Uh, this was just gross. It's just like, hey, I didn't learn my lesson and I'm still a piece of shit. Bye. It's like they just spent like a page and a half, like kind of casually dismantling a storyline from the show for for like no, no effect. Here, at least. No, it's we just... We do have to keep track of if this comes back and matters somehow. It is, like, on a meta level, unsettling. Like, I don't think that the exchange was meant to make me feel unsettled, <laughs> but the way that she was approaching the subject matter and talking about it was very unsettling. It, it was, and again, we're unraveling stuff from the show that I don't know if that's being done consciously or not. Anyway... Kevin runs down some of the party attendees for Archie and is unhappy that Moose is hanging out with one of the River Vixens. So 
Now we all another thing for us to be on the lookout in the future is if Kevin has any character traits other than being uh unhappy that Moose is not willing to be exclusive boyfriends with him. Love that. Great um, stuff. Everyone's energy is a bit off, apparently. Hard to have hard to have fun, hard to feel carefree when like all this shit's going on. Yeah, the vibes are curdled. And a well-sloshed Reggie shows up and informs Archie that he will be pursuing Veronica romantically if Archie goes to jail. <laughs> Which is, like, a shockingly shitty thing to say, like, even for Reggie. And I would venture to say even for drunk Reggie at this point. Um, Kevin advises Archie to avoid another violent incident for his record, and Archie angsts internally about how fucked up his life is. And that's the end of the chapter. Uh, he talks about drinking at some point in here, and it's fucking wild, by the way. Hit me. Someone shoved a red plastic cup in my hand, and without thinking about it, I took a big gulp. It was sour and cold, and tasted like the promise of oblivion. Do you have any inkling as to what alcohol Archie might be talking about here, Rob? Uh, I mean, beyond, like, an actual sour ale, like you know, craft beers. I don't know. I don't think that those things give off, like, the tastes, like, the promise of oblivion vibes. Yeah, I think, really, Archie was handed, like, some sort of item with a cryptic description, one use from a Dark Souls game. (laughs) Yep. Drink this and forget your life. Wake up in a different world. Learn just a little bit about one of those cryptic figures from the history of Drang Lake. Oh, my God. So that's that's our first three bits. Prologue in two chapters. People are going to a party. The party isn't very good. Everyone's worried about Archie. And you know, despite the long shadow cast by the conflict and plot of the television show, we do have to hand it to Ostow here a bit. Oh, she's spinning wheels already. Because it is 33, 33. pages. So over 10%. And nothing has happened yet. Nothing. Nothing. Happened. We, we, to be fair, we have suggested that something will happen at the party with this intrigue with Sweet Pea and Penny Peabody and Josie, I guess. So that's something. Yeah, it's it's a little something. Incredibly strange. I also want to point out, I was, I sort of alluded to this earlier that Kevin says right at the end of the chapter here, Archie Andrews, you're a good guy. Thinking about Reggie's, about everyone's state of mind, it's what you do. Even in the middle of a personal crisis, you can't help yourself. And I'm like, oh, did season two of the show not happen, Kevin? That seems to be a theme. Were you not paying attention to anything Because, like, really what we've got is that Jason Blossom was murdered, and Archie was corrupted and betrayed by Hiram Lodge and framed for the Shadow Lake murder. That's all we have evidence is canon. (laughs) in this book. I can't wait to see what other strange mysteries we uncover as we continue our journey through this book. I'm very excited. That'll be about all for this time, folks. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back with three more chapters before too long, and we'll see what the fuck happens. I uh, put my bookmark in there, and I noticed that the next chapter is from Reggie's perspective. I saw that. Yep. I'm very excited to see what the fuck happens there. Yeah. Everybody, you stay safe out there, and remember, whatever you do, stay away from Venom. The symbiote, the movie, and especially the British metal band. (laughs) That's right. 